Hey, welcome again to uh, Redeemer. Again, my name is Matt, one of the pastors here. And we are starting the beginning of a new series through the book of Ecclesiastes, looking at the question, does life have meaning without God? And this week and next week are going to function as sort of intros to the book of Ecclesiastes. And there's a lot of debate on who actually wrote um, Ecclesiastes and uh Many scholars have different opinions on that, but regardless, it comes from the wisdom tradition, which is sort of centered on the person of Solomon in the Old Testament. And Solomon was, uh, he lived around the time of 1000 BC, which is 1000 years before, before Christ. Right after his dad, King David, died, he transitions into power, and that's where we pick up in our text. And so this is 1 Kings 3, verses 1 through 15. Says God's word to you today, this new year. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places, and the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings at that altar. And at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in the place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? So it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this, and you have not asked for yourself a long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you did not ask, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all the servants. So our practice here to sit in silence for a moment. And um, in, that, in that space, I want you to consider if you had one wish, you know, if you could ask God for anything, what would you ask him? And so we're going to meditate on that question, and then I will lead us in prayer, and we'll talk about this text for a little bit.
Father, we need wisdom, and it pleases you when we ask for it. And also, we get the pleasure of the things of this world when we put you ahead of everything. But if all of us are honest in this room, and we need to be, um, we don't do that. We don't put you first. Um, we, it's very rare that it, it's described in the scripture that somebody actually loves you. And here we see that Solomon does. And so, Lord, as we look at his life, as we look at this transition of power, this new season in the life of Israel, that we would map it onto our lives today and see the ways in which you are revealing yourself to us, that your kingdom is in our midst. It's actually in our hearts. And so, help us to see. Help us to see what we need to ask for. Um, help us to see that the Holy Spirit is in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. Um, so, two points. The need for wisdom and the pleasure of wisdom. There was a massive transition in power in our text. So, King David was given a promise back in 2 Samuel 7. King David was the most uh, renowned of Israel's kings. And when he died, he was given a promise by God. Remember, David wanted to build a temple for God. And God said, I don't want you to build a temple. And this was the promise in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 14. He said, when you lie down with your fathers, and that was an old way of saying, when you die... I will raise up offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. This is God speaking. And then he says to David, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Like, that's a bold claim, right? Um, I will establish a nation for all eternity. And when Solomon was born into the world, that's what the hope was with David's son. And Solomon understood this. Solomon said in 1 Kings 5 verse 3, he said, My dad couldn't build a temple for God. He's talking to this contractor named Hiram who had access to all these like great cedar trees that was going to build the temple. And he's like, you know, my dad couldn't build a temple because he had blood on his hands. He cleared the way for me. He fought all the time. He's a man of war. But I am the prince of peace. That's what his name means. That's what Solomon means. It means peace. And so Solomon was born into this new season with like the most massive inheritance that you could ever imagine and the hope of an entire nation to take the country beyond what they had under David, which was quite far. They were the best country in the entire world at the time. And so Solomon was born into that great hope. And, and throughout the course of his life, like he met the goal. And he surpassed what was placed on his shoulders of what he had to accomplish in his life. His kingdom actually did surpass every other kingdom. And that all started here in our passage where God comes to Solomon in a dream, so he doesn't have his normal faculties. He's not like, you know, doing his normal thing in his life. Like he's asleep, and God says, you can make one wish. Ask anything you'd like. What would you want? 
you know, it's kind of like that genie in the bottle question, right? <laughs> if you can have anything and, you know, and, and the answer is not like, you know, a million more wishes, um, what would you really ask for? Like, what's your heart's desire towards God? What do you wish he would do for you? What do you wish that he would accomplish through you? And it's very interesting what Solomon asked for. He asked for wisdom. Um, Eugene Peterson, older pastor, who's now died, he was writing to his younger son when he was uh, in his 40s. Younger son was a pastor in the the state of Washington. And he was like, he was trying to give him counsel. And he was saying, I think what pastors need most of all is discernment. Discernment on what to pay attention to and discernment on what not to pay attention to and where to direct your focus and, and your energy. Well, this is what Solomon sees in his own life. He's a little boy, and he's saying, look, I'm in his position of power, and many people are looking to me for guidance and justice. And so verse 9, he says, Therefore, God, give me an understanding mind that I may govern your people. And then he says, so that I can discern between good and evil. Or another way to, to say this, between good and bad. And that is the crux of the decisions that you make every single day. Like wisdom is having the ability to make the right decision when the right decision isn't all that obvious. Okay? Which is the bulk of how we move through this world. Should I break up with this person? Should I marry this person? Should we buy this house? Should I continue on in chemo or just let it roll? Should I let my aging parents move in with us or not? Should I give the inheritance out equally to my children? Should I take this job or not? Should I buy this level of thing or not? At every stage of our life, we need, we have a desperate need for wisdom. And this stems from the very beginning of human history. It's the knowledge of good and evil. We can't discern between the two. We think we can, but it's hard for us. And wisdom is being able to discern good from bad in the complexity of your experience of life, specifically your experience with with people. The most complex part of God's creation is human beings. Um, I was thinking about my hopes for my my own children, and I got to spend some extended time with them this week and just kind of focusing on them. And you know, to to be honest, like I want them to have I want them to have like material things. I I want them to have good careers. I want them to know what it's like to have friends that selflessly care for them. I want them, to be honest, I want them to marry and to know the goodness of intimacy. But I think deeper than that, I, uh, I want their names to be written in heaven and that their bodies and souls will be secure forever. And in the meantime, I want them to have wisdom. I think deeper. I want them to know 
how to move through the complexity of this world knowing that God is with them, knowing that God is near to them. And then I began to think, well, that's what I want for myself too, you know. Um, that's what I want for us. And that's what I want like for the city of Lincoln. And this whole concept of wisdom, it, it centers on this phrase in Scripture called the fear of the Lord. And that's, that gets lost in my head when I say that. And so I, w- I want to try to put some texture to it. The fear of the Lord, it's the lived reality that at any given time, God has my attention more than anything else. That's what the fear of the Lord is. It's the lived reality that at any given time, God has my attention more than anything else. So, you're talking to a person, that person makes you nervous. You're talking to a person, that person makes you angry. You're talking to a person, and maybe you want to be more intimate with them than God tells you to. And what you need to remember is that God is there. That He has your attention more than maybe what you want at that given time. Another way that the scriptures describe it is to trust in the Lord with all your heart, and heart means everything that you are, trust, and do not rely or lean on your own ability to understand. Another way to put it is to delight yourself in the Lord. This is what we said in the call to worship. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the things that your heart desires. Now, more than anyone else that has ever lived, Solomon got a chance to test that in a very peculiar way. And he got to go to the end of that question. If I get everything I ever wanted to the nth degree without God, can it satisfy? Like, I know in church, we're always like, yeah, of course it won't, you know, because we're like, you know, we believe in God. Solomon, it says that he loved God. And he was given everything that the world had to offer by God as a test. And in our passage, we see the beginning of this wisdom tradition. We see the beginning of what would become the book of Ecclesiastes This is how Solomon acquired wisdom in this dream. He began to to see, with God, if I cling to anything, if I fear anything else, if anything else has my attention, like God should have my attention, it becomes what he calls vapor. It slips through the cracks. It goes into the nothingness. It's not glory. It's not solid. It doesn't last. Whereas, if I walk through life... And anything that I really, really want, if I give it to God, I get it. If you cling, you don't have it. If you give, you do. In the fear of the Lord, in the delight of the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart. That's what we need. That's the beginning of wisdom. We need it. And point two, when we ask for it, it really does. It pleases God. That's what the text says in verse 10. Another very bizarre thing in Scripture is very unique. 
you can do something, you can make a request, and it's actually pleasurable to God. Look at what God says to Solomon in verses 11 through 14. He says, because you've not asked for money or power or safety, verse 11, he says, I will give you wisdom and fame. I will give you wisdom and honor. In verse 13, he says, I give you also what you did not ask. Um, Solomon was given everything the world had to offer and God. And here we see the beginning of a thread throughout the course of his life that God was setting him up to have a choice. Stuff or God. And by stuff, I mean what we all want. But it's usually summarized in sex, money, and power. I remember I had a, a, a speaker that came to in my previous ministry to college students, and, and he just said this offhand statement. He said, you know, college students want what everybody wants. We all want sex, money, and power. And I was like, I don't know if that's totally accurate. Um, and then the more I thought about it, the more I lived my life, I, I actually do think that now. That those three things in this world sort of tap into the heartstrings of a human being in an unrivaled way. And I believe that according to Scripture 2 in Deuteronomy 17, verses 16 through 20, the, the way that king, the Israelite kings were supposed to be in this world were so very different than the other ancient Near Eastern kings because God said, okay, this is how I want my kings to be. I don't want you to have a lot of wives, O king. I don't want you to collect a bunch of silver and gold. And I don't want you to have a big army. Here's what I want you to do, O king of Israel. I want you to, like a scribe, write out the Torah. And then I want you to read it. And that's how you are to become wise in this world. That's weird. Because in the ancient world, you secured insurance for yourself, for your family, for your legacy through marriage alliances with other nations. That's like the way of the world. That's how you did things. That's why Solomon married Pharaoh's daughter. And that's why Pharaoh was willing to align himself with the family of Solomon. Because Israel was the most powerful economy and the most pow powerful military in the whole world at that time. It was the age of kings. And so you got tight with the strongest king. And so in verse 1 of our chapter, where it says, Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. What he's doing there, the author of, of Kings, is he's giving us a hint or a whiff that like, okay, Solomon loves God, but something's not right here. We were, me and my kids were down in uh, the old market in Omaha this past week for a little bit, and we love the old market. It's very fun, and it was one of those days that just seemed pristine and fresh and like good, and then we walked by this drain, and, and it was like, oh man, like that's something, that's pungent, you know? Um, and it just reminded you, it's like, oh, things aren't as like fresh and nice as, as they appear. And that's what the author of Kings is doing with Solomon. Because this is the very height of Israelite ascension to power. 
And Solomon is at the center of its ascension and declension. And what you're supposed to hear when you read that verse 1 is like something's not right. Like this guy loves God, but something's not right. And from those two experiences, the love of the things in this world outside of God's presence and the love of God, we get the book of Ecclesiastes. Because here you have a person who has gone full speed in two directions. And in a way that like none of us have gotten a chance to. And if that wasn't confusing enough, it appears, and the book of Ecclesiastes is confusing, by the way, but it appears that God allowed for this possibility in his life. He allowed him to test the question, you think, you think you can worship me with a divided heart? Go ahead and try. I'll pull the trigger, you know. I'll light it. And here's the tricky thing about Solomon. In verse 3, it says that he loved God at the same time. And throughout the course of his life, we'll see that he also uh, experienced this through the love of many wives. He had excessive gold and he had a huge army. And these were all pathways for the human heart to trust in or to fear something else besides God, to take God's promises and to apply it to something else, to take God's word and say, this thing can do what God promises to do for me, is what the, the scriptures call an idol, and it's an artificial God. It promises something that it can't deliver. And the author of Kings is setting this story up to show that Solomon, like all of us, y'all, are a mixed bag. Like, we're a mixed bag of good and bad. We're a mixed bag of trusting God and not trusting God. And that's the refrain in the book of Kings. You have even these good kings, but they did not, they did not clear out the high places. The high places were where you worship the idols. And that's our lives. That God is constantly, at least in my life, he's constantly asking me to hold out my hand and he's saying, will you, will you trust me? Will you trust me with that high place? If you do, you will get it and me. But if you don't, it will go into vapor. And I'm convinced that God doesn't even have to prove that to us. I, th I think the things that we cling to, we know they won't last, but, but we cling anyway. We try to hold on anyway. And so my question for you today is, what is your high place? What is it? I'm, I'm very, uh, I think it, in, in, a, in a sober way, I'm very frightened by the way that Solomon had his great start. He had a fresh start. He had a new year. He had a new season. He met and surpassed the expectations of the people. He met and surpassed even his own goals. He, he, even, he even asked for the right thing 
that pleased God, and yet he still had high places in his heart. And one of the most troubling, one of the most troubling passages in the Chronicles of Narnia is where Susan, you know, Susan was the older sister, and she had served in Aslan's army. She had ruled and reigned in Narnia. She had, she had played a pivotal role for Aslan. Aslan's the Christ figure. He's the king figure. And when the siblings grow up, when she gets older, it says this, My sister Susan, answered Peter shortly and gravely, is no longer a friend of Narnia. Yes, said Eustace, and when you try to get her to come and talk about Narnia, do anything about Narnia, she says, oh, what wonderful memories we had as children. Oh, Susan, said Jill, she's interested in nothing nowadays except nylon and lipstick and invitations. That's not a knock on fashion, by the way. Um, It's a knock on anything that we cling to. When Jesus said that the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches actually can choke the gospel out of your life, the, the seed of the gospel. He meant it. And the question that we'll be exploring over the next few months is, let's say somebody just went full on down that, that trail and just said, come on, riches, come on, cares of the world, Does it have meaning without God? Solomon had the opportunity to test that question in a way that no one else living has ever known. And what Ecclesiastes is, is the fruit of Solomon's wisdom, but also the fruit of his foolish choices. One of my um, children asked me this week, they said, Dad, is it possible to hate and love someone at the same time? It's a good question, right? Um, I was like, yeah, you're going to hate and love me throughout your life. And the reason why is because I'm going to fail you. I'm going to hurt you, and I'm going to sin against you, sometimes intentionally and sometimes unintentionally. It's very, very important what you do with that disappointment. Because what you do with that disappointment is either going to make you extremely bitter or it's going to make you holy. Because when we face the disappointments in our life, it will either drive us to the presence of God, whose discipline is only always meant for our good, not out of frustration, whose wounds are always healing, and it will drive you to a Father who will never sin against you. He may cause pain in your life, but He won't sin against you like I will. And if you look to the things in this life, even the best things, like parents, like children, like sex, like money, like the safety of a big military, like the safety of a strong leader, if you look to anything, like you need to look to God, it will slip through your fingertips. I've been thinking about this this week. You know, Jesus, when, you, when we think about requests or desires that we have towards God, Jesus said to his disciples, <laughs> you know, if you think about, like, it, if he said this to us today, we would all be offended. But he's talking to his disciples, right? He's not talking to, the, like, people outside in the world. He's like, when you come to God, he's like, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. 
how much more, and I, I, would, I would think like, how much more do you think is going to take care of you? What he says is, how much more do you think he will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Like my response to that is like, I didn't, I didn't ask for the Holy Spirit. And, and I bet Jesus would be like, exactly. So ask for something different. Ask for something else that's more impossible. Look, we live in this world, and we'll, we'll talk about that in the book of Ecclesiastes. Like we need changes in circumstance. We need our basic necessities to be met. But what, what God is really honing in on our, all of our hearts is for us to, at the end of the day, want and desire and cling to his presence in our life. And this often comes through life's disappointments. That's the hard lesson. When we lose things, when people disappoint us, when people hurt us, when that job is just like, man, we really wanted it. We really wanted it. When we got there, it's just like, this is, this is like depressing. I really wanted to be the CEO, and now, now I'm lonely. It's like, yeah, because it ain't God. I really wanted to get married, and I'm like lonelier than I was. You know, yeah. You put anything in that place, and it will kill you. That's the wisdom that God is offering you right now by the presence of his Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus has come to do. And the Holy Spirit's role is to constantly point you back to Jesus, to illumine him. This is why the Apostle Paul, he says, there, there actually is wisdom in the crucifixion. If you look at it long enough, it'll look offensive to religious people like Jews, and it will just look dumb. And like folly to Gentiles, those who aren't a part of the religious thing. But the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. And that the deep wisdom of the gospel is that it does not matter how much pain you have experienced. It doesn't matter how many disappointments you have. And it doesn't matter what you've accomplished in this life. It doesn't matter how much pleasure you've had. If you don't have God, it's all going away. If you don't have the crucifixion of the God-man who came down to show you the deep, mysterious wisdom of how he works in our lives, it's all going away. And when Jesus says to the people that were killing him, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing, you see it. You see that Jesus is teaching us all there is another way to live. There's another way to live that isn't controlled by those who hate you and have hurt you. And you're not controlled by life's disappointments. And what we see in Jesus is that he gave up all of this pleasure. He gave up the temptation to have the world when the devil tempted him. And what he was doing is that he was being the true prince of peace the wise king. And in Jesus, we see the need for wisdom and the pleasure of God embodied. And he, King Jesus, will lead us into this next year. And he's not concerned. He's not worried. 
He's not worried about how much money we have. He's not worried about how strong we're going to be because he sits enthroned by the cross and resurrection. That's the deep wisdom of the world. And so whatever you experience coming into this week and what you anticipate experiencing in 2024, the, the wisdom that you need is given to you by the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. That you have all that you ever need in this exact moment. We just simply need eyes to see it. We need to become aware of that. We need to become aware that actually we do. We do have the opportunity to fear God right now for him to have our attention. That's why we pray. That's why we confess. Um, and so who, uh, who, which elder is doing confession assurance? Let me ask you this way. Which elder being led by the Spirit right now wants to come up and help? Come on now. All right, when I open my eyes, I want to see somebody right here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you that in 2024, we do not have to um, anticipate the fact that uh, no one's sitting on the throne because you sit on the throne, Lord. And even when Solomon um, had a divided heart, even when Solomon was doing both and at the same time, Lord, it was a picture of all of us. And it was, it was pointing us towards the fact that you had to come down and do it yourself. And we thank you that the good news is that you did and that you're pleased to do it. And now you can be pleased with us through the righteousness of Christ, our true King. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. The Holy Spirit showed up in the person of Adam. All right, let's go.